uh, our objective is to see a business that's going to be getting more customers and more revenue before they even do. Let's give them access to funding before they may even need it, right? So it's like, hey, we can see this. You're on the right path. And we relate this all to our business warrior score. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mays. Hey champions, welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where entrepreneurial creativity is not a fuel self-serving endeavor. It is your gift to the world. So don't hold back. Create boldly. Give us what you got. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. Well, last week was the first week of the unofficial start to summer. Schools are letting out, vacations are starting, and entrepreneurs are, well, I guess we're still at grinding away. Yeah, it seems like we do a lot of that. But do take some time off for yourself, get out of your head, and go get some sunshine and air. And I don't mean with a phone and a laptop in your hands, all right? Get out there and have some fun. Well, in case you missed it, last week's episode, I had our first woman on the show, which honestly took far, far too long. And she was a dynamo. Two-time founder and social media expert, Tammy Locke. She gave up the goods on how ads work, organic that doesn't work, and how not only to stay in the good graces of the big digital ad platforms, but also big power tips on how they promote your ads when you do what they want. That's gold. So if you missed it, you'll definitely want to go back and check that one out. And if you know other women in tech, especially SaaS founders, please send them our way. I love diversity. And a big part of that is different viewpoints and perspectives of the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, women have that for sure because they see things different than we do. And I love that. So we need more women in tech and we want more women on the show and need your help to make that happen. So if you know somebody, send them our way because we'd love to talk with them. Well, this week, our current guest is Rhett Doolittle, CEO of Business Warrior. Rhett is a multi-time founder with two successful exits. His first was Intrust Bank Card, a payment processing company with a remarkable 8,500% growth. And he rocketed all the way up to number 18 on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies. That is amazing. So boldly creating as an entrepreneur, that is what Rhett is about. And Business Warrior brings Rhett's years of experience creating products and solving the right problems to grow a thriving business. Today's episode is sponsored by my book, Small Fish Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. So why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning fast results. Get your copy today at smallfishbigpond.com. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus content. And my guest today, Rhett Doolittle, CEO of Business Warrior. So Rhett, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Very good. Well, tell me about the concept for Business Warrior. Where did that come from? 
That really came from, you know, I came from the merchant services industry. And in that time, we had acquired over 10,000 merchant accounts in my old company. And I was traveling all over the country, visiting with small businesses. And it was just so always so painful, painful to see so many businesses failing for the wrong reasons. It was never because of lack of passion or a bad product or service. It always seemed to be everything else that was holding them back. And the majority of the time, it was marketing. They didn't know past once they hit that stage of referrals and their friends and family, they didn't know an easy, inexpensive way to go acquire new customers. And then they had trouble getting capital at the right time. And then when they needed capital, it's too late. Some businesses, when you need capital, you have to take bad capital and that's always a bad deal. And so I really just you know saw that problem from traveling all over the United States and seeing it over and over and over again and wanted to find a better inexpensive, reasonable, easy way for businesses to solve those two problems. So I launched the first company after that in 2014 and started, you know, made a marketing agency, started tying software into my marketing agency, tied in uh, point of sale systems, really went through a lot of trial and error for the first few years to eventually go on, okay, you know, we can solve this big problem through software and technology and data and a lot of what like the big dogs like Amazon and Google and these guys, Apple, use to make them successful, we can build tools to give it give it to the small guy. Love it. And so uh, it really came from me being out there in the streets and rolling up my sleeves with business owners. And, you know, it just, it pains me. That old stat of small businesses fail, like their failure rate in the first year is 50%. And the first four years is like 80 or 90%, depending on what statistic you read, but no matter which one you read, they're all horrible. It's way too high. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it'll make me really happy that, you know, in two or three years, if we can look back at, you know, the Business Warrior software and say that we were re- really able to move that needle with our network and what we're building. Yeah, that is one of the biggest challenges we see in the SaaS space also, where companies are have a great product, they have passion. And one of the big challenges is sales and marketing. And the thing we hear all the time is I need more leads. So what is it that companies can do to generate that constant lead flow outside of that initial network that they have? You know, I'm a big believer in, um, I forget what the, the saying is, but if you've, if it's basically the, the net of it is if you've waited too long to, for it to be perfect, then you've waited too long, which means it's too late. So release your product. And I also don't think that there's a minimal viable product is really a good definition of when a SaaS solution should really launch it to the public. It should be a minimum sellable product or MS. Ah, I like that. Yes. So it's, yes, your product works. You believe in it. Maybe it's not perfect because you don't want to wait till it's perfect because then it's probably too late. But don't launch the MVP because that's not going to, most of the time, especially with SaaS, it's not going to give you a true gauge on whether that's really going to convert and you're going to get to a cost per acquisition and cost per lead that fits your model. It's got to be, you've got, your product has to be far enough along that it's, it's sellable if your model is based on revenue, right? There's a lot of SaaS companies that are just trying to build, you know, mass scale and, and worried about revenue later. But, you know, if you're like, you know, most of us, you want to have a clear path towards revenue, towards profitability, towards all that. And if that's the case, you can't just release an MVP because is your MVP really going to tell you if it's sellable? No, you may be getting bad or good data. Most of the time, bad data when your product's just not ready yet. So, you know, that's what, and we've made that mistake too. It's, you know, releasing a, releasing a product and getting a good cost per acquisition, getting a lot of small businesses on our network, but then 
not being very clear on how to upgrade them to a, you know, a paid recurring product. And, uh, you know, that's a challenge as well. It's, you can't just, you know, if you're just looking at cost per acquisition to get somebody engaged with you, that's one thing, but then to get them to pull out their credit card and, and pay you is a whole different game. Right. Right. Oh, now I have to pay for it, but wait, it was free last week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that's great. So the value better be there, um, you know, to make it that MSP minimum sellable product. That is really, really good. That is definitely a golden nugget. It'll take away from this conversation for sure. So you started out as a, a marketing agency and uh, is that correct? And then white labeling? Yeah, from the beginning, I wanted to take marketing and advertising data, tie it into data that would give us insight into whether that that marketing and advertising is working, right? So originally it was to tie it to their credit card processing account. Well, what we found, and there's a lot easier ways to do that. I came from the credit card processing industry and we did successfully do that, but it's very difficult working with that industry and, credit, and, and it's just a big uphill battle. You can tie things, you can tie that data. And the reason why we wanted to do that is if we know a business owner's average ticket size or total revenue amount is increasing, then most likely they're doing something good to, to have that happen, right? In their business. Right. So how can we tell if their average ticket size of the revenue is increasing? You can go to their credit card processing account, you go to their accounting software like QuickBooks, or you can go directly to their bank. So we started out going to the credit card processing industry, but still the original idea was from inception, tying marketing data with success of the business. So if we see there's a correlation to something they're doing with marketing and advertising and increase in revenue or customers, let's do more of that. And then as we learn and we compare industry and businesses and things like that, we can say, oh, hey, this worked for a chiropractor in Houston. It should work for a chiropractor in Phoenix, Arizona. So why don't you do this? And so then give those insights and then verify that, that it, it worked, do more of that, do less of the bad things. And so that was, we just went through different trial and errors on what data is going to give us the best insight into whether they're succeeding or not, succeeding or not. And then also, you know, what the best way to get all this advertising and marketing data. So, uh, you know, finally in 2019, we launched our own software that we built homegrown from scratch. And uh, that was really a big turning point into being able to do this for small businesses. That's nice. How does the software work? I mean, how does that, that help business owners? be smarter with their marketing. Yeah. So they just go in and they type their business name and we find their business through data. So they just literally click, oh yeah, that's me. And then we pull thousands of data points that are all public. So they don't really have to like give us permission or anything. This is all public data, but most businesses can't get this data or they can, but it's so confusing, like trying to get website data from Google analytics and trying to figure out how you look online or, or locally and then merging that all and figuring out like, what should I do? What should I do next? What's broken? What's working? We kind of simplify that down into a, what we call as a business warrior score, which is kind of kind of like a health score on your business, but it also gives you insights into what's preventing you from getting new customers or what may be helping the business get more customers to do more of, and then really what to do next, what's high priority. And so you get the business score. Okay, now you know, okay, I'm, I'm at this point. I want to be here. I can see if I get from here to here, that's going to mean more new customers, probably more revenue, maybe higher ticket size. And then, oh, by the way, we just, we built our own funding platform because that was a big problem too, which was, you know, the second problem we're solving for small businesses, which is access to fairly priced capital at the right time. And so we built our own funding platform. 
We're funding small businesses from five to a hundred thousand ourselves. And so then, so now we tie that business score data in with the business looking for capital and we can see insights. Really, uh, our objective is to see a business that's going to be getting more customers and more revenue before they even do. Let's give them access to funding before they may even need it, right? So it's like, hey, we can see this. You're on the right path. And we relate this all to our business warrior score and all that, what we call exotic data behind the business warrior score, which is like local listings, advertising data, SEO, their website, their reputation, all this kind of stuff wrapped in and simplified to the business owner so they can actually understand it. That's really nice. That's got to be helpful for, for every business owner, whether they're sophisticated or whether they're just starting, having that data right at their fingertips. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the platform definitely works better for, I would say, you know, local service-based, service and product-based businesses, but local that you're serving a, a local service area, it works best for, but it still works for almost everybody. And then, you know, startups have, they have their own, they definitely would see value too, because it would be like blank and a lot of zeros. And it's like, okay, looks like I need to go build my presence online and get some reviews and get some customer feedback. And it'll, but it's really, the platform is built for businesses that are ready to grow or looking for ways to grow and really want to take them to the next level. That's really good. So tell me about uh, you know, launching an MVP to you know, the first 100 users. You know, what does that look like? What are the things to pay attention to? Or we'll say, well, we don't want to use MVP, right? We already learned it's MSP, multi- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's sellable product, right? Minimum sellable product. Yes, yes. And at this when we first launched, I don't think I followed that my own advice at that time. I probably figured that out later. So, but <laughs> we all do that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> when we first launched the Business Warrior platform, we were white labeling some other software and we were just kind of like, you know, built some of our own web kind of stuff, but really just leveraging other platforms that were existing. But you're always at the mercy of what the goal is of that organization. And it's just, we had done it. I'd been in the industry for years. I had a great team and there was just no reason that we should have been at this stage of the company, you know, white labeling or using other software. So I said, you know what? I have a clear vision of what we want to build. Let's go build it ourselves. And so we actually put together a 90 day plan, which is crazy. But I put the, from having no software development team ourselves, no software even started no sketches, nothing from pretty much ground zero, except having a nice customer base and having data and knowledge and expertise and having the team to go do it, um, except for the software development team, which is pretty key when you're building a SaaS platform. So in 90 days, we built up our software development team. We released probably at that time the MVP because we weren't really, it was a free platform. And then we went and hit the streets and we signed up our first hundred subscribers on the platform in 90 days. Wow. And uh, I would say that my team and everybody around me thought I was crazy, that there's no way we're going to be able to do this in 90 days. We don't even have a software development team. And, and I just, as time went on, I just, you know, had them believing like, Hey, let's just look at the first milestone two weeks out, another two weeks out. Okay. By 30 days, we better have a software development team. They better get started. We better have, you know, the first sketches of what we want built how it works, where we're going to access the data, then the next two weeks. And then about halfway through, people were like, man, we've made a lot of progress now. This might actually, we might actually hit this. It still seems like a stretch, especially the first hundred subscribers. But, you know, we released really that MVP, I would say two weeks before the 90 day period. And then the last two weeks, we just had the whole company 
go out locally and, you know, connect with business owners in our local areas and sign them up. And then, uh, you know, we probably signed up 60 or 70 or ourselves. And then we got probably another 20 or 30 through referrals and hit our first hundred subscribers in that, uh, in that short time period, which was crazy. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, I mean, when you have goals like that, that may seem out there, what were the, the key things that you did in, uh, in getting your team to buy into that and believe that it was possible and then make it happen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the passion from the leadership team and starts with me is the first point. And having a clear vision of what we're building and having them being excited and inspired by that vision, that's where it starts is having that vision. And then whether they think they can believe it or not, at that time, I would say in the beginning, the how isn't that important. It's just really having the clear vision. And then just giving them the confidence that together as a team, we'll figure out the how. But a lot of times I think CEOs, especially as CEOs of tech companies, think they need to paint the vision, the how, the steps, and then you get this anxiety that you don't have it all figured out. Look, this stuff's going to take, I mean, we did that first step in 90 days, but a lot of times your real vision is, you know, three years out. There's no way, I mean, like, you know, Elon Musk or Zuckerberg and these guys, they didn't know where they were going to be three years out. You know, right. Zuckerberg's making Facebook in a dorm. He didn't know what Facebook was going to be three years from that point. So to know that, like, A, first to know exactly what it's going to be, how you're going to get there, what the steps are, like, that's where you need to really lean on your team. And that's what I did. And, and it, it was believing in the vision, believing in that we had the team to do it, to figure it out. So if there was anybody that could do it, it was our team. And then it was just breaking it off in pieces. So, you know, if it's a three-year vision, it's what does it look like in three years? Okay. Where do we think we need to be in 24 months? Okay. And then where do we think we need to be in 12 months? Okay. That's like our best guess. And then I would break it down by quarter from there. And then in the current quarter, break it down by month and just chunking it off. So then the guys just, they have to know, okay, we're headed towards the three-year. We see that if we accomplish these milestones, we're going to hit that goal. And really all I need to focus on is the 30 days in front of me right now. That reminds me of a, a phrase that, that you said when we talked last time, and that was the, the courage to create. And so it's taking that vision and going out there and, and launching that. So what does that mean to you, the courage to create? Yeah, it was, uh, I was probably just holding myself back. You know, I didn't for whatever reason, but at some point it hit me where, you know, I was at a leadership conference and with a, a bunch of other leaders and, and just getting super inspired and going, you know what? I can do this. I have the courage to create this thing myself. Like, why am I holding back? Why am I playing so small? You know, why don't I just step up and give it a shot? And how much more passionate and inspired am I going to be myself if I do that? Which then transfers to my employees and my team and my family. And, and just life gets so much better when, when you're playing full out. Yes, without a doubt. And it's those small wins that build on each other. So like you're saying, break it down into the small chunks. And it's the small wins that stack and you start seeing that vision come into reality. Yeah. So one of our current three-year vision is to have a million subscribers on our SaaS platform in three years, small business subscribers. And so when you start thinking about that, when looking, yeah, it can be overwhelming. But again, breaking it up, focusing on what you can control, making sure you have the right team in place and just continuing to plan and thinking about that vision and making sure everybody's inspired and aligned and it's, uh, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed when you try to look constantly thinking about what you don't have instead of, all right, here's what's in front of me. Here's what we have. We've always been successful. We've always hit our goals. So why wouldn't we hit this one as well? So maybe not always, but <laughs> when we're focused and determined, it's great. That's really good. 
So what have been the, the big challenges you've seen uh, along the way with, uh, with your own companies as well as the clients that you're serving? You know, it's the clients that we're serving. The struggle has always been, well, I think one of the big problems with small businesses, they just don't spend enough money on marketing and advertising. You know, it's really, if you're in your first couple of years, you should be carving more than 25% of your revenue to marketing and advertising. I would probably say 30 or 40%. It's almost just like, can you survive in the first two years by spending that much on marketing and advertising? And a lot of them look at it the other way, like let's spend nothing on marketing and advertising. I'm just going to build my business based on referral. And they just don't build a big enough base, you know, to get past those first two years. So that's the biggest struggle is getting them to wrap their heads around, okay, I need to carve out X amount of dollars every month if I really want to grow. And then before that, are they even ready to advertise? Because then you get people that are like, okay, I'm going to spend $5,000 on advertising. And they just spend it on pay-per-click or some social media ads or some guy that walks in their door and sells them like some flyers or something. And it's like, they're not even ready. They should be spending that money, but did they do everything? And so then the $5,000, they, they waste it. It doesn't work. They have no clear picture of where they're going. And then they kind of give up on it. I'm going to go back to saving that $5,000 and just go through referrals again. And, and it's just, so I think that's a big challenge is making sure that businesses are ready to advertise, getting them ready to advertise, and then getting them ready to spend the money they need to grow. Because I think a lot of them are probably a lot closer than they think because they have a great brand. They probably have a good reputation through reviews and things, and they're probably ready to grow, but they don't know how much to spend. They don't know how long they need to spend it as far as I think that most business owners are okay going negative, right? Most of them put all kinds of stuff on their credit cards and take loans from family members and things. They're okay with going, let's say negative a hundred grand over a, a 10 month period. They just want to know that in month 11, they're going to hit a, a return on their investment. They're going to, it's going to go positive. And then month 12, it's going to get better. They just don't want to know that it's going to be hundred grand for 10 months and then another hundred grand the next 10 months. And it just goes endless. That's when they start freaking out. And, but so it's clearing that up for them and giving them that clear pathway or roadmap to success. So we struggle with that is getting through the business owner to be patient, do the right things, put the foundation in, in place, and then being ready to say, okay, the foundation's in place. I have a great product or service. I'm ready to grow. So I need to you know, start risking some dollars out there and I need to be prepared to do it for six months, eight months, 10 months. Uh, around, uh, you know, to get to my real goal, which is, you know, predictable growth, predictable customer, new customer growth, retaining those customers. And then, you know, then it goes to hiring more employees and having a good reputation as an employer. And so it's just, uh, it's following those steps is difficult for them. Sure. I would say, how do you balance having a, a marketing strategy versus doing point solutions? So, you know, like you said, somebody decides I'm going to spend $5,000 on this or that. What is the, the value of having a strategy and how should they go about putting one together? Yeah, that's funny. Um, good setup for me because that's exactly what we're trying to build is we're trying to make this super simple for a business owner so that they see it. Our so I, you know, We still have a lot more work to do in our software to get there. It has a lot of value now, but just giving them that clear picture of here, I am here today and this is where I want to go. So what does that pathway look like? Otherwise, you're right. It's dependent on them to go do the marketing research, to look at, you know, doing the research and development on who their customer is and where they're searching for products like theirs, who their competitors are, doing a lot of that analysis, making a plan, knowing 
Should they be advertising on, you know, Google pay-per-click or social media or YouTube or locally with flyers or TV or doing all that stuff and then putting out a plan and then having a budget and then constantly be measuring cost per lead and cost per acquisition. I mean, it's a full-time marketing job, which, sure, you know, most of these owner operators that are, you know, doing everything themselves, they're taking out the garbage, they're cooking the food or buying the product or making the clothes or, or selling the clothing online. They, you know, they're not equipped to do all of that. It's like a full-time job. And then do they have the money to pay somebody full-time? Most of the time, not. So, you know, we're trying to solve this problem through technology and through our SaaS platform and through funding so that when they are ready to hire the employee to increase advertising spend, that we know that they're ready and, and we'll give them access to cheap capital to do it. That's good. The, the capital that you're doing there, is that debt financing or it's an equity or some combination? For them, it's just all debt okay. right now. And for, as an owner, that is certainly appealing. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're pretty much what I would say is the best solution besides their bank. You know, if you're a small business and you have your, your profitable, your cash flowing money, your books are clean, which means you're not putting all your personal finances in your business account. You have a P&L and a balance sheet. You can go to your bank and submit all this stuff and try to get a, you know, a loan through your bank or through the SBA. And if you can wait for 120 days or, or to get an answer, then go to your bank because they're probably going to give you the best rate, which is probably in between three and 7%. But if, if you don't have any of those, you know, if you're not, you know, haven't been in business for two or three years, any of that stuff, then we're probably the best next best solution because we really look at heavily at the last 12 months of performance. Are you increasing? Do you have good cash flow? We don't care if you got a, a BK five years ago. Um, we don't care if you just, you know, as long as you've been open a year, we're okay. Um, a lot of those things we overlook and we can fund you, you know, fund a business within uh, just a few days. So if you're trying to take advantage of a growth opportunity right now, definitely don't go to your bank because you're not going to give you the answer for, you know, three or four months. So, right. Well, that, that's a really interesting thing. Lots of different ways to fund. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Rhett about public funding and taking companies public and how he's done that and uh, the lessons learned along the way right after this. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a growth plan to scale your SaaS beyond $10 million. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash your SaaS growth at championleadership.com. And welcome back to SaaS Fuel. Guest today, Rhett Doolittle from Business Warrior. And Rhett, we were talking about funding businesses and debt equity, but there's another one that is not talked about near as much, and that is taking a company public through a reverse merger. So tell me about your experience there and the lessons learned along the way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this really applies to SaaS owners and SaaS companies because, you know, the valuations on SaaS companies on the public markets are, you know, 13 to 20 X and there are a lot less on private. So we built our own SaaS platform. We had this huge growth opportunity and great growth plans. And I had been a business owner for years. Um, I had gone through the venture capital route and private kind of angel financing route before and just knowing how painful that was and started that process again and seeing it just hasn't changed in years. And that usually means that 
you know, unless you're super profitable and you got a you know hockey stick growth rate already, well, then you probably don't need cash. So why are you even doing it, right? Right. So unless you're that, and we weren't that at that point. So we were looking for cash to really grow and take our business to the next level. And so, you know, all the private guys and the, and the venture capitalists, it's be prepared to give up anywhere from 40 to 70% of your company. They're going to insert a lot of their people. They're going to have a lot of influence on what to pay their people, which to me meant overpay a lot of these services and a lot of services that we weren't fans of. So you're kind of getting pushed like, you know, different because a lot of these venture capitalists, they have investments in lots of different companies and there's, there's um, spillover from one to the other. And they know they can help and kind of hedge their bet on investment from one to another by saying, Hey, you know, investment A, you got to use investment C, right. C, you got to D. It doesn't really mean it's best for us as the company. It's best for the VC. So just knowing that and just being like, man, do I really want to go through this? Do we really want to give up this much of the company? Do we need to do it? And then researching for other ways and, and researching and finding a way to go public a lot cheaper than doing an IPO and a lot earlier, going through a reverse merger to the OTC markets, so over-the-counter markets. So did a lot of research, watched some YouTube videos, bought a book from the expert on reverse mergers and studied up, studied up on it and found that, hey, look, like if I can do a reverse merger with an existing public company uh, and then take our SaaS model and do what's called file a, a regulation A for financing, I can really get the financing without giving much on my company, especially giving up control on anything else. So we did it, kind of taught myself how to do it. Obviously had a lot of great people that I made phone calls and just started making phone calls. A lot of people on Wall Street, finding a great SEC attorney, finding some great connections, did a reverse merger January, 30, or t- January 31st of 20, and uh, and which was quite the accomplishment, but yes. we had our regulation A kind of lined up right after which COVID hit. And so everything kind of just went haywire, but in the end- That's crazy time. Crazy time. In the end, we ended up raising about three and a half million bucks from the regulation A. We raised another, I don't know how much, a couple million bucks from friends and family. And I would say being a public entity is a whole lot easier to raise capital than going to VCs because- it's very simple when you go, if you're trying to raise capital to your friends and family and they see what your stock is worth and they can say, okay, you're priced at 20 cents and you're worth $20 million. Very easy to see. And then they say, okay, if I buy a million shares, they they multiply their million shares times the 20 cents. They know what it's worth currently and up or down. So you don't have to go through this whole battle of trying to teach every investor that you have what your valuation is and teaching them what SaaS is and why SaaS multiples are, you know, 13 or 20 times trailing 12 month revenue and, and all this other stuff. So it really simplified and and sped up the process that people I think believed in us, believed in the team, believed in the model, liked that we're out there fighting for small businesses. And so that was just simple for people to buy in on, on, on the upside. So to me, it was much easier to raise the capital that we needed. It worked because of COVID. It was probably, everything was probably 12 months later than, that we had hoped or, or planned on, but you know what wasn't delayed at least twelve months during that time for all of us. So right, uh, we're sitting, sitting in a good spot now. I think that's good. That's a really interesting way of, of, of approaching the market. So very different mindset than a lot of people. I think just in thinking of how to fund a business. Yeah, especially a SaaS platform. Yes, yes. Is there a difference in a reverse merger and a SPAC, or would you say those are the same thing or similar? 
So the difference, no, there, there are some similarities, but the difference is a SPAC is you're putting together a group of investors and they don't really have an operational organization or entity yet. So they put together the investment dollars, they go public based on really the amount of capital and the connections of those investors. Then they find a company or companies that will turn it into an actually a real company with revenues and costs and expenses and things like that. So, and as opposed to reverse merger, we were a operating company with customers and revenue and everything else. And we reversed into a public entity and then went and got financing afterwards. That makes sense. So there is a merger component that's similar. And then now, you know, we just acquired another company called uh, Helix House Agency, which is a big marketing agency in Scottsdale. But after you're kind of formed, you've got the investment dollars, you've got good financing opportunities in place, you've got a, you know, a good operating business you can go, you know, acquire other companies kind of like a SPAC does. So, you know, there is some similarities because you can keep bolting on and, you know, with a public entity, I think, you know, it's, it's also easier to do that because in theory, it's easy to say, to look at investors or your shareholders and know that like, Hey, if we take this capital and we go acquire this company, then revenues should go up by X, which means that probably the valuation of the company should go up by X. Right. So then, you know, people want to invest more into that. And it's very simple when they say, oh, my stock price is here based on this revenues and this valuation, the stock price should go up based on, you know, acquiring a company or doing a merger or things like that. So, you know, so far so good. We were able to do one acquisition and uh, always, you know, looking at other opportunities like that. That's a really good strategy. And, uh, and there are definitely advantages to be in private. There are certainly advantages to be in public. And I think that's, you just hit on one. Because if you're a public company trading 13 to 20x and you're able to acquire a private company at 7x, 8x, well, that acquisition essentially is free to you because you're going to increase the value of your overall organization at a factor of 13 to 20x. Yeah. And I mean, even better than that for like our model is we try to look for companies that may only traditionally trade at like one or two x. Sure. And then buy bringing them in and their customer base and then bringing them into our SaaS model, making some small shifts with our technology, which takes a little time. But after that's done, taking a valuation of one or two X where we're only buying them at say two X and turning them into a 13 to 20 X, that's the huge win. So that's, that was kind of the plan with the marketing agency that we, that we bought and uh, you know, other acquisitions that, that we're always looking for and looking at. Uh, that's really smart. Lots of opportunity. And I love just the, that shift in thinking, not just the traditional way of this is how it's supposed to work, but uh, actually going outside and learning. And it kind of goes back to that courage to create, you know, courage to think outside and, and do things different than everybody else. Yep, that's for sure. That's what business warriors do, right? <laughs> that's where the name came from. It's the business warrior mindset of that small business owner that, you know, started her cafe and wakes up at four in the morning. I mean, we know it takes a business warrior mindset to even to, to launch a business, to have the courage to stay in business, to go through all the obstacles and pain and blood, sweat and tears. It's a business warrior mindset. And uh, that's where we came from. That's where our customers and our network comes from. And, uh, you know, that's what we're all about is fighting for those guys and girls. That's great. I love that. love that for, for small business because it's, it's yeah, it is hard out there. And I think it's it's become you know more difficult in, in starting businesses and then keeping those going. 
especially over the last couple of years, just a, a really unstable environment. And so really applaud, applaud you for what you're doing and the business owners for sticking with it. They're, they're what makes the country happen. Yeah, thank you. They are the economy. 100%. Yeah. Yep. So what, to, what would be your advice if somebody is starting a business or early stage? What would be your advice having done this a few times? Planning, having a clear vision, building the right team, and then just starting, just getting going. It's, uh, you know, trying to not make things too perfect, but I also, and follow your gut. And that, and I mean that in two ways is most of the time business owners, they should follow their gut, like their real dream. Like, should I go for this? Don't hedge your bet on your model and your vision, like follow your gut on what you should really build, but then also follow your gut on what you're not doing. Because a lot of times I think us as business owners, we know what we're ignoring. And it's like that little thing in your gut and you ignore it. It's like, mm, you're not doing your accounting. You're not putting as much time and research on your, your marketing plan. You know, you go back to just focusing on what you do best, which is kind of your core business. But it's like, if your gut is telling you that you're ignoring other areas, that's probably the areas that are going to hurt you in your business. So follow your gut and address those things and be honest with yourself. It's, if you're not great at certain things or you're just not going to do it, you got to ask yourself, are you going to be okay with bringing somebody else and building that team to take care of those things? Or are you just going to ignore it? If you're going to ignore it, then don't go in business. But So uh, I would say build the team. That's, <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> yeah, building the team. What do you look for in, in great team members? Passionate, you know, a culture fit. We want to, like our culture as we work hard, but we have fun doing it. We're very open and honest. We love giving feedback to each other. We don't take things personally. So getting feedback, the way we feel about feedback is if I'm giving feedback to somebody, that means I really care. I want to make them a better person for themselves, for me, and for the organization. And same thing. If somebody's giving me feedback, same thing. This is an opportunity for me to get better. So I don't take it personally and move forward. So we look for people that can fit that culture because a lot of people, you know, they do take things personally. So but we just feel like one of the things that makes us better as a team is doing that. And also that everybody works hard and has fun and, and very trustworthy and open and honest. So, um, and the biggest factor that we look for is having a passion for passion for small businesses. You know, when we find people that really care about small businesses and like the, the creativity and things that you, you see, you know, for your local businesses, as opposed to like Amazon and Walmart and, and, uh, Costco or, you know, the big, huge, big box retailers, as you say, just finding that passion for the people like really want to help the small guy. Like we like that. That's great. So we find people that, well, we just hope that we, people find us and we find them that have that all the similarities that people want to work hard, play hard, build something great, solve a big problem, have fun doing it and okay with being open and honest with each other. The rest on the training and everything else we can, you know, we can fix that. So we'd rather find culture fit as the priority and train as, as the secondary. Without a doubt. You can't teach culture. It's either there or it's not. And, you know, training and, and the doing and the job skills, all that can be learned. But I love that, that you're really starting with somebody that has the same values that you have. Yep. Now, of course, there's technical aspects like, you know, we got to hire a CFO. Our CFO has got to have, you know, a certain technical expertise in financials. But <laughs> yes, absolutely. And same with software development. I mean, we're, this is all about SaaS fuel, right? Like, yeah, it'd be great to right. teach people how to code, but you'll be, you'll be pretty slow growing if you're going to hire people <laughs> and teach them how to code. So 
Yes. They do need baseline skills. That's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you and about Business Warrior? Yeah, just go to businesswarrior.com. There's two links on there. There's Well, there's actually three things you do. First thing is we're publicly traded. So if you go on to E-Trade, you can look at our stock. Stock ticker is BZWR. We're on the OTC pink sheets now. We're in the process of uplisting to QB, so it'll be available on a lot more platforms, but people can buy our stock on eTrade.com. So that's always option number one, BZWR. And if you're a small business owner or you're a, you know, a manager of a business, go on to businesswarrior.com and then just click one of the links. There's pretty much two links on there. There's one to see how much money you qualify if you need funding for your business or two to really get this grade that I was talking about for, you know, getting your business warrior score and seeing what steps you should take, looking for those things that are maybe preventing you from, you know, getting new customers or not. That'll kind of give you a pathway on what to do to improve your business. And uh, then as you approve, you go back and you probably will get access to more funding from us as well. So it's a nice marriage and a great place to start. Very good. And we will make sure that everything is linked in the show notes as well. And uh, Rhett, it's a pleasure talking with you today. This was fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks again to Rhett Doolittle for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Rhett and Business Warrior at businesswarrior.com. And of course, connect with them on social media. As always, all links, highlights, and resources and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, share it with one other person in the SaaS world. They will be eternally grateful. And let us know too. Do that by rating us or leaving a review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. I'll be sure to read those on a future episode, or you can leave us comments and feedback by calling 903-SAS-FUEL. And I'd love to play those in a future episode. Tune in next week for our conversation with Patrick McGuire. Patrick is another multi-time SaaS founder with a few exits. He has a new SaaS for the sports industry, plus he's launching a very interesting digital company, and that is physical and digital, bringing sports into the metaverse in a unique way to support charities. You won't want to miss that one, so check it out next week. So until we meet again, enjoy your summer and enjoy the journey.